0: all right we are here we are happening we are excited <laughs> i don't know when this is going to get easier to like start this out but like no, today no. not today I don't think
1: so, <laughs> but you're about to witness like a mom lifting a car off her child the, the white lady voice you're about to get out of me for the next like 30 seconds is going to be amazing <laughs> and we're back
0: right <laughs> <laughs>
1: To. We're in we're in chapter
0: 11 now yeah Cuties to chapter 11. Uh, we hope you are all prepared for your Thanksgiving this week and ready to eat a whole bunch of turkey and whatever food you prefer to eat. So, this week we have a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. For those of you that don't know, I am American Indian. I am a member of the Citizen Band Potawatomi Tribe. My grandmother is the last full blood Native American chief's daughter for our tribe. Um, so now the chief of our tribe is my second cousin because it passes to the first son of every family. Um, so we kind of started brainstorming here. And what we want to bring to you guys this week, since it is Thanksgiving, is we want to discuss American Indian as well as Alaska Native authors, representation of that in literature, both uh, fiction and nonfiction, all, just all kind of around in general. And some other some other broad topics regarding creators artists authors in the AIA and populations
1: um we're super excited as Alyssa and I were talking about how we wanted to approach this episode obviously you know one person sprang to mind immediately and I texted Alyssa super quick and I was like girl we gotta get Michela on this podcast uh-huh. for those of you who don't do know me intimately which is probably most of you um <laughs> Michelle Elkins is um one of my best friends in the world which is not um, one of her many achievements, but she has many to which we will let her introduce herself. And we're so excited to have her here on the podcast today to be talking about this.
0: Clearly, we are very excited. We've said it 12 times. We'll say it a million more before we're done today because we love Michelle. <laughs> oh,
2: I love you guys as well. Um, hi, I'm Michelle Elkins. Um, you can find out more about me at Um, I was lucky enough to have a weird enough first name to get my domain after kind of battling it out with a Czech handbag designer of all things for a few years (laughs) I wasn't able to pick it up when they let the domain lapse so somebody upstairs was looking out for me um just to give a little detail about myself and, and why I'm here Uh, I'm a self-help author. I've written, at this point, working on my fourth book, centered around spiritual wellness and self-help around topics ranging from everything to how we show up in the world as our physical selves, um, things such as having compassion and empathy and good etiquette around others, all the way to doing some of that inner work things around wealth um, and abundance mindset and then kind of lastly dating and relationships from a high vibe perspective kind of taking everything I've learned over the last I'd say seven years and distilling that down into the written form with master classes to follow so if any of that interests you definitely check out my site find me on Instagram or Twitter at at that a um, little bit about myself beyond just that um, I'm also a beauty pageant title holder in a few pageants. Most recently, I won the top title at Ms. Universe, not to be con- confused with Miss, Ms. is the next age category because many people who aren't in the pageant world don't know this, but there's actually an age cutoff to all of the Miss pageants, <laughs> which is usually uh, 27 to 28 years old, which is kind of an unfortunate concept because women don't stop being... Misses, We don't all magically get married like Cinderella at midnight the second we turn 27 or 28, which is a little (laughs) chaotic. Um, So very proud of that. But uh, moving on to our topic, I also was recently crowned Miss Indigenous America for the Miss Global pageant, which is taking place in February in Bali, Indonesia. Miss Global is... A pageant organization that understands that you can be a Miss long into your 30s. And in another way that they're, you know, progressive or with the times, as I would call it, is they actually specifically have an allotment to a point or crown through means of a a pageant that's a lead up different titles around Aboriginal or Indigenous communities. So there's a Miss Australia, there's a Miss Aboriginal Australia. With my title, there's a Miss USA, and then there's myself, Miss Indigenous America, proudly representing the more than 500 sovereign nations of our beautiful and absolutely huge landmass, which we also call Turtle Island. And the reason I'm doing that is because on my father's side, similar to Alyssa, which is a point we bonded over, on my father's side, we are predominantly Cherokee. There's a little bit of English knocking around in there, but my father is... uh, upwards of 80% Cherokee and I couldn't be more proud to represent this title. And thank you ladies for having me to talk about these topics that are so near and dear.
1: Absolutely. And I'll kick it back to Alyssa in a sec, but I also want to point out, um, I want to brag on you just one more moment here. Um, this is the first time I believe at at a, correct me if I'm wrong, the first time at an international level that there is a Miss, um, Miss Indigenous for America, correct? Miss Indigenous America. Yes.
2: Yes, that is correct. So the, the pageant organization has always, you know, in the, in the last, I, I think it's about 12 years that they've been putting on the Miss Global Pageant, they've kind of shifted it. And I believe they've always allowed for Aboriginal or Indigenous titles. It just comes down to if someone fits the bill or is crowned to that title. This is the first time at an international level that someone has walked across the stage, as I will do in February with the national level title for Miss Indigenous America or Miss Native America, because generally the way that it works in the U.S., there is a Miss India world, but it's not, or Miss Indian world, but it's not India as in the beautiful, giant, and rich nation of India. We're talking about as in a term for Native Americans, right? Because that's something I'm sure we'll We'll touch on a little bit later is the many terms for indigenous peoples of the Americas, which ones are correct, which ones are not. But Miss Indian World is only a national pageant in that tribal communities send their best. There's a Miss Cherokee, actually, there's a Miss Potawatomi, and then they are crowned. So it's not exactly an international pageant. So this is kind of history, not kind of, this is history in the making that I'm really, really humbled and proud to be a part of because you don't get higher than international level, right? Until we start doing interplanetary, interuniverse, universe <laughs> interdimensional pageant. Yeah. The international or
1: world title is the highest title you can achieve in any given pageant. Amazing. And guys, don't you worry, we're going to be linking all the places that you can find Michelle in the podcast description as well. Just head yes. on over to Instagram and we'll have all of her stuff linked up. It'll be in the podcast description. You know, Alyssa and I, We love a link. Um, We we love love the descriptions too. So we've put a lot of time, I do, specifically honing in on this description, worried about it. So like, read it. (laughs) (laughs) Please read our descriptions. Like, so much copy editing, fam. So much copy editing. Um, But don't you worry, we'll have all of her materials linked there. And we are so excited to have you here talking about this today. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. It's been great.
0: There are a few topics that we're going to hit on um, that Michela, Molly and I feel are important to discuss, especially with our platforms that we're kind of coming from today that many either are unaware of or just have never heard about or, you know, any of that nature. So one major thing that um, I didn't actually even discuss this with you guys before now. So here we go. One thing though. So I grew up in Oklahoma, um, where there's many reservations in Oklahoma, right? We, most of us know of the trail of tears. Um, my tribe specifically refers to it as a trail of death because every one in three people died on the walk from Michigan to Oklahoma. But, um, I moved to Florida from Oklahoma and I met so many people when I moved here, like I can think off the top of my head of seven people. And I know there are more than that who had never heard of the Trail of Tears, who had never heard of Indian reservations, who had never heard of any of it. They had no clue. They did not learn that in their public education in Florida, apparently. And like Florida has the Seminoles, like they were a huge area. So I was like, how did you not learn about this? But apparently it's, it's still something that is not taught in schools um, as reverently as it should be. Uh, People do not learn as much education on not only tribal culture, but just the stories in general of the different tribes and understanding, you know, the Plains tribes were completely different than the Coast tribes or up near Canada or even down here in Florida. Like they were all so different and had different living, different housing, different methods of gathering food, making their clothing and everyone who does know anything about native Americans tends to go with the Hollywood version in their head of all Indians, all native Americans live in teepees and they all refer to them as Indians, right? So all Indians refer, live in teepees and that's it. That's the only version they have in their head. And I think it's very important for us and, um, Michelle will chime in here at any point, but important for us to kind of point on how that has been misconstrued, um, in the public eye thus far in the country.
2: But. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, I think as we start talking about some of the authors and their different tribal communities and some of their perspectives and the themes they touch on, I think more of our conversation on those topics will come up. I just want to relate back to kind of what you were saying and take it a step further in terms of a lot of people who aren't indigenous or partially indigenous don't know, about native peoples that there's there's this complete nuance to it that there are so many tribal communities that there are so many differences like this is a huge swath of land like I said in my introduction right and native people who have been here records indicate anywhere from 40,000 years to 10,000 years ago began settling in these areas i mean there are a number of different theories as to how people got here. And there are also numerous groups of indigenous folks who don't have a creation story that doesn't place them in the Americas, right? And while there is this, I I would say, lack of education, I don't think people are willfully ignorant. Most people do, or many people do mean well. It's just Mm -hmm. the education system has failed them. But I also want to point out something that in my in my representation of this title, something I want to always speak about and not really let slip. The key reason that I wanted to represent this title was to represent my heritage and my distinct way of being Indigenous, which is to be a mixed race Indigenous person. And that's been something that's been really challenging to own that identity and understand all that it means. And I I think it's been challenging because to many people, not all, but to many people I'm considered white passing. I have lighter skin tone. My hair is like a a sandy blonde color. I do of course have Cherokee facial features, but there's always this colorism to indigenous identity. And I wanna touch on that to make sure I spark sort of new thought or some research in directions people may not have thought about. While we talk about non-indigenous people not knowing a lot about indigenous folks, non-Indigenous and Indigenous folks alike often discount the Afro-Indigenous experience. And that's something, as someone who's white-passing, representing an Indigenous title, who is proudly Indigenous, I also don't want to detract or steal light from the story of others like myself who are definitely Indigenous, but don't fit the visual appearance or stereotype, at least not completely for folks. And and just so people understand. And you may know of a very well-known Afro-Indigenous person by the name of Jimi Hendrix, kind of a big deal. And there are so many folks. And if you're Afro-Indigenous or just, you know, Indigenous, the the Cherokee tribe is kind of notorious for their views on this. And, And I don't, I personally do not respect opinions and views that put people out of a Cherokee identity for not being 100% Cherokee or not being 50% Cherokee and 50% European. I I acknowledge and respect the mixed indigenous experience, no matter what that looks like or how it came to be. And if anyone's listening to this and they're someone who had, you know, black ancestry, Cherokee ancestry mixed together, any, any indigenous group, your, your identity as an indigenous person is just as valid as mine, just as valid as someone who's a hundred percent indigenous in Mm -hmm. the end full stop for sure
0: yeah no that's for sure and I think um um, interestingly that you point that out because like I you know I have darker features and I you know tan easily but during I get very white during the winter and my sister who you know we have the exact same parents is five eight and blonde and blue-eyed and so whereas naturally growing up people would be like oh yes, you're indigenous. But when they look at her, they'd be like, where did you come from? Even though we look the same, just yeah, colored sure. differently. And they would never, people never associate her with that part of her heritage. And it, you know, it's not the most wonderful thing to experience when people tend to discredit your mm-hmm. identity or your heritage based on your appearance. Um, and it also, it, it kind of makes my blood boil a lot of times thinking about it because you know, when you look at other mixed races, you don't think, Hmm, I bet they're 20% German, you know, like you don't think that you don't, you don't automatically try and calculate their blood percentage based on what their heritage is. But we do that with indigenous cultures. And so Mm -hmm. specifically AIN populations. It's like, what is your blood percentage? And it's like, well, I'm not a dog, so I'm not necessarily concerned with it. I understand a lot of times, um, with government funding to be recognized as an indigenous individual by the government, it has to be specific blood percentage, which I also think is crap. Like I, again, there's not another, there's not another race that you come from that you do that with. Um, and so it it is, it is a very invalidating thing for, Mm -hmm for the government to be able to, for any, anyone to be able to be like, well, you're not indigenous enough. And I think that's where a lot of people feel this invalidation based on their coloring or, you know, how Caucasian they appear or whichever, you know, if they appear more African, ever it's just a way to invalidate further the indigenous line, to be honest.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's something that I've had to grapple with until one day I decided I'm not grappling with it anymore. I, I kind of just said, no similar to your thinking where you said no other race of and especially no other mixed race person is treated in this way. If we see people who are are maybe half one parent's black, one parent's white, people have come to accept and understand the duality there and the bothness of those people. As someone who is almost 50-50, I have very rarely found an acceptance of my bothness because it's so easy to just push if someone's coloring is is such a way and their features are such, a, like there's just not an eye for indigenous American features. So it's very easy to just completely whole shift the human being. Whereas it, it's not, I didn't grow up looking up to like Barbie as a beauty standard. I actually, my mom would get me blonde hair, blue eye Barbie dolls and my dad would get me the Kira Barbie, which if anyone knows the Kira Barbie, she's like Pacific Islander, oh, yeah. black hair, yep. almond eyes, tan skin. Cause they had these like dual concepts, my parents of like, well, she looks like both. So I had both dolls growing up. And so it, I decided to reject this sort of like classification of me based on phenotype. Because all that really applies is I'm blonde-ish and I'm pale-ish. Similar to you, I tan like I was born to do it. So I I don't really accept being hard-shifted to being completely Caucasian and to take on this white identity. I'll accept white passing, but even that implicitly is stating that I'm in fact not white. I'm not accepting this sort of Caucasian label. I, I am a mixed person who can pass as white based on phenotype. Nothing more, nothing less.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point. And one other, with kind of representation, not only in appearance, it, it goes across the board. And so uh, with this misrepresentation, I think there's, there's obviously also been a huge shift in the last five years or so of Hollywood uh, trying to include more people of color on the screen with the TV shows, with movies, just kind of all across the board. They've been trying to diversify our screens, which fully appreciate, but that goes much further than that. Um, It extends into musicians, writers with stage names and pen names and everything that they essentially, traditionally go under a more Caucasian sounding name so that people are more likely to purchase their music, their writing, their movie, whatever it is. Um, and I think we, we kind of talked about this before Michela. you sent uh, a very good point that I would like for you to bring up here. So our, our audience mm-hmm. can hear it too, but, um, that is, that is another area in the world that needs to shift more to diversifying. And it's not just the screen it's everywhere.
2: Right well and i think one of my one of my other points was that if we're going to point out to to the audience here are some native indigenous authors to look to look out for right here are some books to read to understand a variety of different topics and contexts to develop empathy for the the native experience um, as more and more creators And Res Dogs is is this incredible TV show comes to mind. As more things start to reach mainstream, which I would argue we exist. Indigenous people are mainstream, but as things become more mainstream for everyone, there's going to be sort of this quest, this desire to have a context for the characters or the stories you see on screen naturally. So one of the things is something I brought up to Molly because it's something I'm really passionate about informing people about is that native people don't often have names that would register as native american to to someone i think there's a great stereotype out there of, of people thinking that indigenous or native people have these fanciful and some have incredible names that have have been you know a legacy throughout their family uh like such as people who carry the last name gray eyes or elk killer or bear tracker or wind song these incredible names that are english versions of what the inherent indigenous naming convention was but there are many 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 people i would say a majority that do not have names that are not european in root a lot of the native and indigenous folks you will encounter have english last names because mm-hmm. colonization a lot of them have conversion they- names because of Christianity coming through or Catholicism, right? I mean, I I don't ever want to detract from my prevailing notion that Mexican people are Native Americans, right? Mexico is part of the Americas and a lot of the U.S. was Mexico. And and that's something that's been pointed out to me earlier in my days. And I want to make sure I, I say it as food for thought for folks on this podcast and anywhere where I may speak on the topic of being indigenous and the indigenous experience is that the, the lines that were drawn cross, like Mexico never invaded the U S Mexico is never invading the U S the U S came across Mexico and drew a line, right? So you're going to encounter folks who have Spanish language, last names because of Catholicism and conversion, people who had right. European last names because of mm-hmm. Christianity and conversion or yeah. the, survival-based mixtration of our people. I know in my family there's been mixing for land grabs and oh, yeah. for survival. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah, there's yeah. there's a quite a number of English last names from the same area, Oxfordshire in in the United Kingdom. A lot of my I'm not positive it's ancestry or just conversion names. But regardless of the case, my last name is English, but that doesn't mean I have more than the the tiniest fraction of English blood knocking around in there. That's something I think is really important as we go about looking for diverse authors or authors of different perspective. And we look at the book cover and the name we see might be like. Elizabeth Smith. That doesn't mean she's not 100% Indigenous or, or, you know, mixed Indigenous, because as we said, the mixed Indigenous perspective, you're still Indigenous, especially in a lot of tribal communities. Indigenous is Indigenous, the end, right? No matter your your percentage or or mixtration. Blood quantum is a, as you were touching on earlier, Alyssa, blood quantum, this notion of percentage of Indigenous blood is sort of a white supremacist lie to, to erase our people and to say if you don't make this mark, if you're not at least 50%, you're not indigenous. Or if you're not at least 25%, you're not indigenous, right? That's erasure. Right. That's kind of a silent genocide. So to take us back to the point, lighten things up a little bit, I think it's key to do your research and you know, yeah. read your back covers, guys. Read your inside of the book. Come to understand who it is. Look at the Twitter account of the author, because you might be really surprised if you're just going by the naming conventions.
0: Of which also to like add to that, um, I'm not sure if you know, Michelle, but I technically have two names. So like my tribe specifically, we have our, you know, whatever our given name is that so we put mm-hmm. on our birth certificate and we have that. But then we also have a name that we register with the tribe. That's our like tribal given name. So the matriarch of every family gives out the name. So I've got my indigenous name that I use to identify which family tree I'm with, um, you know, everyone has their own. That's in the Potawatomi language, and then I also have my given name. That's on you know my birth certificate, my social security card. That is very Caucasian sounding, right? Um, <laughs> Alyssa Nicole. That's very white. Yes, um, the most typical middle name that every one of our age group has is Nicole. I swear, um, name of our generation. Yeah, <laughs> Literally. but uh, but like my Indigenous name is not a Quashipshiwato, and it's not something that. Um, was ever really used. And I think, um, we did it to keep tradition alive because especially with our tribe being relocated to Oklahoma, it was one of those things that was like, we needed to assimilate, uh, quickly, mm-hmm. but yeah. also wanted to try and keep tradition. And so like, uh, writing or creating anything, I'm going to go under my given name. Cause that's, you know, my given name, but also have a complete other. It's like dual. I got like an alter ego. My it's like my
2: <laughs> like a superhero self, right? You've got yeah, your, yeah. your Clark Kent and then you're Superman.
0: Totally. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You can now refer to me as Superman forever. Thank you all. Oh, that that's the point of this episode.
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. We we're just updated. trying we we're hoisting all everyone up to that. I'm
1: updating your contact as we speak. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Superman. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect love yeah and i think that that's going to echo through a lot of my recommendations molly asked me earlier today and then kind of pivoted to you know what let's just put it together a a little guest star role like these topics because she and i were just talking about the authors and the why and then naturally because i'm sending this via voice memo midday i was like you know what also a A bigger point to all of this is X, Y, Z, which we'll get into. And and I I realized looking at some of my recommendations for authors that that point stood out around their names. So Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that we talked about that and and talked about, you know, our names, our names are sacred or were sacred. Right. I know I do have a really creative name that was given to me by both parents, but it it definitely is not perhaps an indigenous name in the ways that people would, would traditionally think about Cherokee structured names. And so similar to how you said you know you've got some recommendations from the perspective of the conquered rather than the conqueror, I want to mm-hmm. talk about some of those hallmarks of being conquered, which is you know our names were taken. We mm-hmm. were people were put into marriage situations that were said to be advantageous for both sides. Like I talked Learning about school. that. Those land those land marriages, right? Or or so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And and also like the cutting of indigenous people's hair especially yep men, right? Because Mm -hmm. in almost every indigenous community, the notion behind it is that your hair is your spiritual connection to the higher realms. It's where your intuition is developed. Your hair isn't really cut. It just isn't. It it grows for the life of you. The indigenous notion that, you know, many people, if you ask them to think about indigenous folks, what are some hallmarks of the indigenous culture? They'll talk about braided hair. And the reason for that is that that we are supposed to, as we braid our hair, think about the unity and union of the three parts of us, like body, mind, spirit, all moving in one. And that's one of those things. I don't want us to to mix nuance, but there are things that seem to permeate across most indigenous America's cultures because they're just intuitively aligned with this bigger divine understanding. But there's also, it both can be true that we have tons of similarities and commonalities and shared concepts and also an incredible amount of differences and nuances. We're not a monolith, right? And and so like right. what we're saying is our names are taken, our hair is taken, our land is taken, which the people are very connected to the place they are from, the actual soil they are from, yeah. right?
0: Yep. Yeah, uh, that's for sure. And it's, not only that, but like the boarding schools. And I know this Mm -hmm. isn't technically a book, um, but there is a podcast that I would like to direct people to. I know Molly and I have both shared it on our social medias as well as the podcast social media, but it's called This Land. Um, And it kind of plays into what you were just saying, Michelle. It goes over some issues with the land rights that are still going on today uh, in Oklahoma specifically, Mm -hmm. as well as the attack on like the Indian Child Welfare Act that's going on right now. And so people yeah. who just had no idea of how things are set up, had never, you know, especially if you don't live in Oklahoma or live on a reservation, you might not know obviously some of the inner workings, but there are still issues today in 2021 of the government trying to take away indigenous land rights that have been written in contract written in blood, you know like blood in all many forms um and also the indian child welfare act that was put in place because of these boarding schools that um they would essentially kidnap children and force them to go into and assimilate into white culture and so the indian child welfare act was put into place to try and protect children and keep them within their tribes uh and now there's a whole Supreme Court case going on to try and remove that as well. And so this this podcast does a really great job. Um, and the host, her name's Rebecca Nagel. She's actually a member of the Cherokee tribe yeah, as well.
2: Yeah, I follow um, her on Twitter. She's yeah, been she's instrumental so cool. um, in she's, my she's yeah my reconnection and my informing myself of the legal aspects going on. Yeah. The time, yeah.
0: totally. So it's her podcast. Um, and she one she's just great to listen to. She has like an amazing podcast voice. So that's great. Mine's not as we've talked about before, but, um, she's got two seasons up right now and they're both so informational and even like living in it. Um, there are a lot of things that even, you know, each tribe has different inner workings and different agreements with the government and different things that go on. And so also kind of getting an understanding of how other tribes do work besides my own. but it's very very informational and it will make your blood boil um -hmm. if you care about humans (laughs) just in general if you just care about humans in general um it will make your blood boil but it it is very very informative so i highly recommend that one um for anyone out there who's looking for another podcast besides ours
2: (laughs) and i wanted to touch on something because i felt i I kind of felt something come through intuitively Mm -hmm. i want to point out that it's anyone listening to this and you feel like a sense of guilt. Why don't I know this? I'm usually really informed. I love learning about indigenous cultures in school. What little I did learn. Don't feel bad for not knowing some of this stuff because it is purposefully hidden. Yeah. Right. Because if you have non-indigenous, even if indigenous people at large find out about all this stuff and, and can, can join in numbers to fight injustice and can create, A broader unity, then these policies and these bad actors are really called out. So keep in mind, we're a small percentage of the modern day population. So if the broader you know people of the u s could yeah. could find out, could understand these injustices and join the call for for what is human rights, for what is is fighting for people's inherent owed dignity to them as humans, then these bad actors, these bad policies, these greedy people. And institutions and organizations would really be in trouble. So, so this is kept from you. Don't feel yeah. guilty or sad. Just just know that it's purposely kept for you, and go on an incredible adventure to collect all the info you can, and, and question everything you learn about Native American people. The um the fact that they're they're all dead and gone, which is clearly <laughs> not true. Things such as that that all of this happened in the past and isn't still happening. Like don't feel guilty or upset. Just be more informed, do better and, and connect with people, right? It's not one of those things where people don't want to talk to you or it's an insular group. I find indigenous people are so open to sharing the culture with others. And and if you're hearing this and are partially indigenous and trying to find your way back, be it because you're a mixed indigenous person like Alyssa and I, or you're adopted or whatever your case may be, please, if you're hearing this and you're, you're reluctant, connect. Like Rebecca Nagel, like we mentioned, is a wonderful resource. There's mm-hmm. so many people on Indigenous Twitter, on Indigenous TikTok, on Indigenous yep. Instagram, who yep. are happy to share the culture. And your your path back and your reconnection doesn't have to be through your birth family. It can be through the community. It can be through Alyssa and I. We're happy to, to connect and talk, too.
0: For sure. And there's, there
2: for
0: there's another one, uh, Connie Walker. She's uh canadian and she's indigenous from canada and does a podcast finding missing or trafficked women in the u.s and she also ties mm-hmm. into a lot of the issues that also go on in canada of the lack of media coverage searching for anyone of indigenous uh community that goes missing and it's, it's a huge problem but connie mm-hmm. walker also got one her podcast is called um the search for Jermaine." stolen the search for Jermaine. but she's on twitter she's on instagram She's very interactive, um, very informative. She's great. Um, I interact with a lot of her, her stuff as well, but she also great ties in the indigenous populations of Canada and the similarities, but also the differences on what they experience in Canada versus the U S. Um, mm-hmm. but it was, I know I talked to Molly when I was listening to this podcast specifically of a lot of the things, um, cause it also, it touches on sexual assault, um, domestic assault, abuse growing up. It touches on a very wide range of subjects. So trigger warnings for all of those, if you go to listen, she does a great job Mm -hmm. of putting trigger warnings, but you know, got to throw them out there too. But, um, I was talking to Molly specifically of, you know, there are a lot of things growing up that I heard or experienced or witnessed that I didn't necessarily connect to other people. And so it made me feel more seen more heard more connected even though she's an indigenous person from canada right so it doesn't matter necessarily your parents which tribe where in the world but being able to connect to a community that understands essentially what you're experiencing is very important um whether it's podcasts books bookstagram tiktok twitter whatever your vice is in the social media (laughs) world pick it you know. Right. There's many outlets. <laughs> Truly. Uh, well, what are some of your favorite um, books, authors
2: that yeah. you want
0: to highlight today? Yeah. So I, I feel like I
2: want to start out with my first reco being a Cherokee perspective or, you know, a Cherokee author reco. So my first up is Kelly Joe Ford who is a Cherokee author. Her book is called Crooked Hallelujah. And the book centers around sort of multi-generational loss, reconnection, um, loss again, like just sort of the multi-variant ways that a intergenerational family of four generations of Cherokee women have lost their Cherokee connection, regained it, how they've come to, to grips with their identity, how they may have rejected it, just sort of the, the way four different women of one family across four different generations, okay, how they engage with and understand their, their Cherokee identity and their roots and their culture as mm-hmm. they move further away from Oklahoma, mm-hmm. which is, you know, right. as we said, being near the lands or not can have an impact on Indigenous people yeah for sure. sure
0: um i've actually heard of that one several times it's on my tbr um mm-hmm. it's been recommended to me by many people um in the community because i i also specifically multiple times asked for recommendations from indigenous authors and i've heard it so many times i have it here but i, just, <laughs> I haven't read it yet so moving right it
2: feels right. like it's resonant with you right this sort of as Oklahoma fades into the rear view, how does that, does that help you? Like for some people, I don't want to give away anything of the book, but for some people perhaps seeing what could be a painful or or bitter or, or unhappy experience, living on a reservation, being indigenous, be, that can be the unhealthy part. The reconnecting with a healthier notion could be elsewhere, right? It, it could also yeah. be the opposite. It could be that Oklahoma and the, the Cherokee Nation there, it is your idea of belonging. It's your idea of being understood. It's, it's your connection to the language, right? I think it's important to call out that at least the Cherokee language is something that's being sort of pushed forward by the Cherokee nation to help retain it. It's a dying language. Most of the fluent speakers are over 70 in the community. So it kind of, this book explores all those themes around connection to a place. If your culture and community resides in that place. Yeah. Is that your true roots or do you find new roots connecting with other indigenous folks on other indigenous lands and creating a healthier sort of indigenous worldview with with them and leave behind some of the brokenness of that past place? Right. Because it can be true. It's all comes down to the individual.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, No, I think that I think that definitely does, I think. um, But also with that one, uh, have you read Braiding Sweetgrass?
2: No, but it's one that I brought up. I haven't read it, but it's on my personal list. But I brought that up in talking to Molly about how this could be beneficial for the audience
1: mm-hmm. regarding
2: there's this big theme in society right now, which I firmly ascribe to, and want to use my platform as a title holder around you know, in preserving the environment. My platform for both Miss yeah. Universe and right. for Miss Indigenous America and everything in Miss Global is around ocean conservation. And water preservation, and yeah. th- and I think this current this current theme, which I hope perpetuates in in collective thought, is listen to indigenous communities, listen to native people about how to yeah. respect the land. And yep. braiding sweetgrass to me, it really is a great for anyone, even you know non indigenous people, to understand yeah. the true context of respecting the land and respecting ecology. I think that book could be a great jumping off point to really saying, I hear that, I want to to embrace that I am an environmentalist and I want to embrace listening to indigenous people, but what does that mean? And how do I do it? This book. And also, you know, the author being Potawatomi, I, I was like, oh, Alyssa should probably talk about that one.
0: I've read it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's really good. Um, I definitely, everything you just said spot on, on what I was going to say about it. It, it definitely that. helps highlight those things. Um, it definitely helps bring a new perspective into what you know about how, indigenous people relate with the land, how you should view land and how you should mm-hmm. respect things and view them. Um, it's essentially like a bunch of essays kind of put together, but Robin Kim Kimmerer. I'm sure I'm butchering it, but I'm also terrible at pronouncing names. Everyone knows this right now, but <laughs> she does a fabulous job. Um, and it's informative, but interesting at the same time, you know, sometimes you get kind of textile nonfiction things and you're like, ah, like can't really connect her this book mm-hmm. is great it keeps you engaged the whole time um keeps you very interested but also is extremely accurate and informative um so highly recommend that one as well that's funny i you had one on my tbr now i have one on your tbr yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey
2: hey hey i love it <laughs> What um, else is no. <laughs> yeah. So one, as soon as Molly asked, I had one that I felt like was sort of, maybe if you say, I hear this, I, I respect indigenous communities. I want to learn more about them, but I also want to read things that, that are sci-fi in nature, that are fantasy in nature. This uh-huh. is a really good one. I, I made sure to include a couple recos around that arena. And so this one, maybe you've heard of it, Alyssa, it's called the Marrow Thieves by Cherie DeMalene it's an interesting spooky sort of a uh, dystopian fantasy sci-fi fantasy notion where there there is this world in the marrow thieves where non-indigenous people are hunting the indigenous folks to steal their bone marrow and you must be asking why is that that's chaotic well i'll tell you that's chaotic right that's cha- that's pure chaos um so effectively in this reality that Sherry is painting, and I'm sorry if it's Sherry, it might be more French than I'm giving, but I don't, I'm very bad at French. I only really know Spanglish and English. So, and trying to learn Cherokee and some Quechua, but I digress. The, The point of this book is that the indigenous people are still having dreams. They're still at night seeing images, getting guidance, receiving such, and for whatever reason, I don't want to spoil too much, that then becomes understood that it's something with their bone marrow, so they're now hunted for this reason, which it, i one of the things I, I kind of outlined to Molly is we can absolutely you and I can absolutely come up with some great indigenous and native American authors to to put forth, but what we also want to talk about is the themes, and I think it yeah. it would be we would be amiss to not talk about how there's a, a lot of big themes within indigenous writing this notion of being hunted for what you are because that's very much a part of the trauma the wounding the intergenerational wounding of native peoples this notion of being a dehumanized treated as less than human and b hunted for what you are and exterminated for what you are yeah And, and oftentimes i think Back to your point around the colonizer or the the oppressor versus the colonized, the oppressed. Right. right? There's this sort of like notion that native people, the the, the colonizer or oppressor paints this picture that native people were uncivilized, unclean, animalistic, and it's best if they're done away with. But in reality, I tend to think, tend to know it. It was more so the fact that the land was a tremendous resource. Right. I, I always yeah. say the Cherokee were shifted from where the gold and where the furs were nothing more, nothing less shifted to infertile land where there wasn't a mountain with a deep spiritual connection to their ancestors uh, and, and gold underneath said mountain. Right. So the the indigenous people were too spiritually connected and too, right. They kind of had this otherness that, that others could not relate to. And this sort of, understanding of the land and connection to the land. And that was a, a big problem Hence, right. why they were exterminated. So I think Sherry's kind of riffing on this same notion of it's something about the inherent spirituality because in most worldviews, dreams are, are the spiritual plane and it's how we interface yeah. with, with our higher guidance, no matter what your religion yeah. or belief system may be, how we connect with ancestors. And that's kind of a, a pan global concept, right? Maybe yeah. even an interplanetary one yep (laughs) Yep. Yep. yeah I think this is definitely worth a read if you're into sort of a dystopian sci-fi or a fantasy concept and it it will probably have a lot of like dream exploration and dream symbology that might interest some folks
0: for uh, me I had not heard of that one before (laughs) for sure Um, me yeah well I'm interested (laughs) that's really what matters here right yeah no, um <laughs> what, but, out, you're to be read, yeah. Um <laughs> no, definitely my, added my TBR. That's, that's amazing me. My
2: next one. Uh and then I think I I kind of this is a two for one sort of one, but yeah. it kind of it, it touches on all of the themes that we've talked about. Um and then some. So Stephen Graham Jones, once again, kind of if you notice, all of these authors don't have names that you may consider as a, a listener, as a non-Indigenous listener, these are not Native American names. What is going on here? No, that they, they won't be for the necessary reasons that Alyssa and I outlined. So he wrote a fantasy novel called Mongrels about a shapeshifter boy who is a werewolf. But of course, the notion of shapeshifting animal walking, um, becoming an animal, seeing through an animal's eyes is a long, 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 uh, Legacy-filled concept in a lot of yep. Native American lore across all uh, Americas. Uh, oh right? yeah, and so this is not this is not a Twilight spinoff, folks. This is not a Twilight fanfic. What the author tackles is a boy who lost his parents and is is raised by his aunt and uncle who are also shapeshifters, right? And so it also touches on this theme, and, and what I want to make make clear is it's important to read indigenous works to gain an empathy and understanding for the indigenous perspective. And one such perspective is our people deal with a lot of loss and disconnect from one or both parents, a lot of grandparents, perhaps raising us. Many folks were in foster care or adoption just because of, there was a concerted effort to break up our families. Something that I'm sure any sort of, you know, black listeners, maybe also can relate to that it's that notion of there's, there's a concerted effort to you, ruin yeah. the family unit.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's just another way to essentially keep, <laughs> keep the patriarchs going, you know?
2: Right, yeah, and to keep people <laughs> oppressed and dependent on, you know, if you keep people in a scarcity plane, then they'll stay in a scarcity mindset, and they will have no power in the systems that create and broker power and that's kind of kind of the point, right?
0: Yeah, honestly. And I think these are all great, um kind of we have like a wide range here that we're gonna link for you guys in our show notes of we have some fantasy fanfic not fanfiction. Where this is not a Twilight spinoff. Okay. I'm <laughs> not at I put that in my notes. He wasn't not even a naked, spinoff but- <laughs> But we have some fantasy sci fi. We've got some poetry. We've got um, some essay features. We, we've got a, a wide, we got some podcasts, a wide variety. Of, oh, we talked about Reservation Dogs TV show. Wide yeah. variety of things in here um, that you can all resort to that will be linked in our show notes um, for you to refer back to. Michelle, like, we're so happy you've been here with us today. Um, do you have any other closing thoughts you want to leave our audience with? Uh, I know we're all going to be rooting for you in Bali in 2022. Oh, uh, I'm going to hide away in your suitcase so that I can talk to you <laughs> with a giant cutout head. That's just what yes. I'm going to do. Um, Molly as well. We're just going to like hop on in there. But um, whatever right, closing right, thoughts again. you got, you know, give them to us. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I, I know this is one topic that I touched on in some of the discussions that Molly and I had. And I know, Alyssa, you agree, because we kind of had a precinct before this. But I think the one key thought that I want to touch on, I've been talking to folks on Twitter about this recently, people in various different Indigenous communities from Canada to here, just kind of English-speaking Indigenous Twitter, as it were. We were talking about the notion that we can't view all indigenous creative and all indigenous artwork and all indigenous writing as activism nor are all indigenous journalists doing activism work. Indigenous people living, existing, creating, indigenous perspectives being shared is not inherently activism. That's a very colonizer-centered, very oppressive, white supremacy-centered view of native people that They're always performing activist work. It almost dehumanizes and minimizes people to this two-dimensional, it's almost like the male gaze, but instead this is the colonizer gaze, right? So we can't can't think of it that way. We have to just be open to people, not open to, but accept the fundamental truth that people are out here creating what they wanted to see in the world. Mm -hmm. Nothing more, no matter what they're, heritage, their ethnic background, like they'll tell you if it's an activist stance, they will tell you, right. If it, if that's the perspective that they're, they're trying to go after, we can't simply say that the, the, our very existence is activism because that denies us our humanity and the full range of creative
0: expression we
2: have as human beings.
0: Right. No, yeah, that's a very good point. Um I you had sent us that voice message earlier today and in my car I was like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Love it. <laughs> but no, no, is no, no, yes. that it, it <laughs> is. I'm like, yeah, I was responding in text form, but like that was my verbal response also. Uh, yeah, and I think I mean, it goes <laughs> in all ways. It goes for it goes
2: for all like, be it the Latina population, mm-hmm. be it Black creators. Like, give people don't give just just don't try to take away their humanity as right, as people right. who can create simply because it's something they want to see existing in the world. Not everything they do is activism against oppression. Give them a day. A month, a year off, right? Like let people just be, just and be, stop, yeah. yeah, and and enjoy their output and, and support them with no other intention other than to enjoy good art, good, good film, good photography, you, you name it, right? Or, or good thing, journalism, yeah. because we really can't, we cannot teach people who are of any sort of minority whatsoever that their role is to fight for themselves constantly without hours, days off. That's just insane. And like I wow. said, it de- it denies them the full range of the human experience. And if we look at it through that lens, we're basically saying that only the oppressor is allowed to create for creation's sake.
0: Mm-hmm. And that yeah.
2: is a very dark thought indeed.
0: Yes. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. Um, I think that's a good that's a that's a good point to end on to leave our listeners with some food for thought um, that they can let us know how they felt about that. I mean, it's it's definitely something that if you are not um, indigenous or a minority and not a creator, not something that you might even ever think of. And so I think that's a good a good ending note for us. Um, Shayla, thank you again so much for coming with us today. Um loved every second of it. You could come back anytime.
1: Anytime. <laughs> we would <always laughs> open for <Yeah>. policy.
0: Love <laughs> literally. It. literally. Uh, but again, we'll all be rooting for you in Bali and uh, we cannot wait to see where you go with this. We're proud of you and we thank you. And for our listeners here, we'll see you again next week. Everything's linked in the show notes. Um, so I'm Alyssa, this is Molly, and we're Queen, Quest, and Tropes. Bye! Bye! <laughs> And I'll edit, it'll be fine. <laughs>